All right, well, I'm gonna pray one more time and then we're gonna jump into the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Um, we are preaching through the Bible this year on Sunday mornings. We started in Genesis at the beginning of January. Our plan is to make it all the way through the book of Revelation by December. And so we have, we have started the book of Deuteronomy. Um, for those of you who, who are interested, we put together a Bible reading plan. And so if you wanna dig in a little bit deeper and, and not just rely on the sermons, you can do the reading during the week. And then my messages each Sunday are gonna be out of what we read the previous week. And so we kind of got through what, the first 12 chapters or so of Deuteronomy this week. We finished up the book of Numbers. And so that's where we're gonna be together this morning. Um, I also want to say it, it's we, about almost two years ago now, in the summer of 2018, we actually did a six-part series on the book of Deuteronomy called Lynchpin. And we looked at the book of Deuteronomy through the eyes of Jesus. And so if you ever want to do a little bit of a deeper dive on Deuteronomy, you could go back and look that up. Some of the stuff I'll share this morning has been mined out of some of that. Um, but it's a really important book of the Bible. Um, Jesus quoted this book more than any other book in the Old Testament except for the Psalms. And so Jesus referred back to this book quite a bit in his life and ministry. Um, and so I'm believing God's got some stuff in here for us this morning. So let's pray and prepare our hearts and then we're gonna dive into this. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, for the written word of God. Lord, we thank you that it points us to you. The purpose of this book is to know you, the true and living God. Jesus, I thank you that you're the word made flesh. You came alive. And so Lord, we're praying that you would do that miracle in our hearts today, that this word that we're gonna read together this morning, that it would come alive in our hearts. God, that it would make sense to our minds, that we could grab a hold of what you want us to hear. And Lord, that it would take root, that it would produce fruit in us. God, I pray that we would position ourselves as not only um, willing to hear you today, but God is willing to act on what you might say to us. And so Lord, would you come be our teacher and our guide? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so the context of the book of Deuteronomy is that Moses and kind of the, the, the older folks, those, the, the old folks that came out of Egypt, they've now been in the wilderness for over 40 years and that old generation has died off. And the, the new generation, their children are stepping up and getting ready to head into this promised land that was, was promised to them a long time ago. And so the purpose of this book, Moses is, is, is trying to engage and prepare and inspire the next generation to become this generation, to, to take that step forward into what God has for them. And so some of the things he addresses in this book, as he's speaking to the next generation, he's talking to them about legacy. He's teaching them the importance of being able to learn from our parents specifically, but just our elders, the previous generation. And he does this in a very honest way. He encourages them to learn from their failures and their successes. Learn from the good and the bad. One of the things that's so common for us to do is when we're kind of coming into our generation, we recognize maybe all too easily the failings of the previous generation. 
and we miss the good stuff we've received from those who have gone before us. The generation before us are imperfect people. And so Moses teaches them this concept of legacy. How do I grab from both the good and the bad from the previous generation and learn from it? Let me hold on to what was good and treasure it and cherish it. Let me learn from the previous generation's mistakes. You know, often when we see mistakes made, instead of coming back to what's right and good, if we're not careful, we see this thing that's wrong over here and we swing and make an opposite error over here. You see that over and over again, generationally. You see it even with just with specific people. You know, I've watched kids who just do the opposite of what their parents did because they just were frustrated with their parents a lot. It's like the opposite's not better. (laughs) All right, let's learn from the good and the bad and say, God, what are you showing us about who you're calling us to be? And so Moses addresses legacy. He teaches them how to face obstacles, how to win victory over difficult circumstances. And he does that by, by looking back at previous victories, ways that God brought them through. He also talks to them about just living with purpose in the here and now, day-to-day purpose. A lot of Deuteronomy is restating the law and lessons that were given to their parents. But Moses is restating them and say, do this, do it regularly, do it daily. Um, I'd encourage you to read through Deuteronomy chapter six, man, it just paints a picture of just how to incorporate the truth of what God has to say to us in our everyday lives. And the reason he gives us this daily purpose is so that we can learn to maintain success and avoid complacency because he knew what was gonna happen. They were gonna go in, take new territory, conquer the land, and then they were gonna struggle and they were gonna sin and they would have all these ups and downs. And so he warned them ahead of time, here's how you live with purpose and intentionality every day. Um, I used this analogy back when we did the Lynchpin series, but um, when you view the book of Deuteronomy, I wanna encourage you, look at it, um, look at it as if it's a relay race. It's a relay race. So the Olympics are coming up this summer. Hopefully the coronavirus doesn't hijack that. Hopefully just in general, the coronavirus gets figured out and knocked out soon. Um, But um, track and field, relay race. And you've got these like four guys that'll run together, right? And so the first leg of the race, they're carrying that baton. And there comes a moment in the race where it's time to hand it to the next guy. And that's a critical moment can they make that exchange well? Can I grab hold of that baton and now run my leg of the race? That's what Moses is talking about. He's saying, you need to reach back and grab the baton, learn from the previous generation, and then step up, run your race well, run your leg well. And by the way, you fit it into a larger story. So not only does Deuteronomy address the previous generation, it talks a lot about parents passing things on to their children and their children's children. See, Deuteronomy speaks to us in a very personal way. It is about our own life and our own moment in history and running our race well. But one of the things Deuteronomy does is it anchors us because it reminds us that we're a part of a larger story. Our story is wrapped up in both the past and the future. And so part of running our leg well is learning well from the previous generation and passing on 
to the next generation. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. Um, a basic outline of Deuteronomy, we'll follow this a little bit this week and next. Um, I love the way Warren Wearsby kind of structured this book. He said, you can kind of break it down into four sections. The first section, the first few chapters is about looking back. And so Moses reminds this current generation of their people's history, both good and bad. Then he slows down and he talks to them just about the right here, right now. And so Warren Wearsby puts it like this. If the first part is looking back, the next part is looking within. Who am I as a person? Who's God shaped me to be? What anchors my life? Then Moses begins to get them looking ahead. Here's the new territory we're about to go into. Here's what it's gonna look like taking that territory. And then finally, the book wraps up by looking up. Uh, and there's this new leader that's established in Joshua. There's a song of worship. Um, God speaks these blessings over them. And so it kind of finishes in worship. They're looking up to God and accepting his new direction and new leadership in their life. So this morning, we're gonna talk, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about looking back and a little bit about looking within, all right? Y'all with me? You ready to go for it this morning? Yes. yes. There's some very subtle head nods and that's about all I'm getting from you guys. So we're gonna go for it. Here we go. All right, so I'm just gonna kind of walk us through. We'll read a verse or two, but I just kind of walk you through the first few chapters here. And so um, the opening chapters are, again, they're this concept of looking back. So how do we grab the baton? And so in chapter one, um, the main message is your parents failed to take hold of the promise when it was their moment. That's the main message. He brought them out of Egypt. He, he established them. And when it was time for them to go into new territory, they shrunk back in fear and didn't go forward. And so they missed their moment. They refused to enter the land out of fear. And then he reminds them of the penalty of that. They got stuck. They got stuck. And so they lived in that wilderness the rest of their lives. And, and here's the key principle here. Because that generation didn't move forward and take the territory they were meant to take in their day, their, parent, their children, excuse me, their children were left to take territory the parents were supposed to take. Guys, that's a real life principle. It's something we'll experience in our own lives there's, there's things from our parents that, man, maybe they progressed forward a lot and, and God did a lot through their lives. But maybe there's a couple places where, where they got stuck and, and I, have, I have an opportunity to go, man, do I just get frustrated and blame my parents for things that haven't gone so great in my life? And man, if they just handled things a little bit differently, maybe I'd be in a different place. Or, or am I just honest say, God, here's where I am. I'm, I'm right here and you've placed me here. And Lord, I wanna take new territory you've called me to take. Maybe you've come from a background where there's broken marriages in your family history and you go, hey, I, I wanna be the person that changes that. I want to see the culture change in my family. I wanna, I wanna live a committed married life and with my, my wife. I wanna pass that legacy onto our kids. I wanna start new ground, new territory. Now see, it's not just a principle that works from the previous generation. This is a principle that God brings into our lives right now. Maybe you're sitting here going, well, man, I'm already really aware of some places I'm stuck and I failed and I've already blown it. Well, guess what? God shows up in his mercy and meets you right there and he redeems and restores going forward. And so that's what then begins to happen in the next couple of chapters. In the midst of their, their parents' moment of failure, 
chapters two and three establish that God still continues to be faithful in their life. He didn't abandon them in the wilderness. He was with them there. He provided for them. He protected them. In fact, they actually did still face some battles in the wilderness and they had some successes and victories there. And so God, God came alongside them, did not give up on them, and he remained faithful even in their moment of weakness and failure. And he redeemed and he rescued and he restored. And their legacy going forward, their children now are gonna take territory they didn't. And it's, it's all right, God's redeeming. And so in the midst of this, one of the things that, that Moses points out is he, he reminds them, God gives guidance and protection. That's really good news to hear if you're about to go into a whole new place that you don't know. And you know for sure there's gonna be enemies there. To be reminded of God's protection and guidance. He's done it in the past, he'll do it in the future. Um, he reminds them, lean on his past faithfulness for encouragement in your current battle. Lean on his past faithfulness for encouragement in your current battle. There's an example of this in Deuteronomy 3.2. But the Lord said to me, do not fear him for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites who lived at Heshbon. He says, listen, this new enemy you're about to face, I'm gonna help you deal with that enemy the same way I helped you deal with that one back there. That battle that you faced, that was difficult, but you overcame, remember that because I'm the same God and I'm going with you into this next place. So he reminds them of that. One more thing that, that I think is so important is they learn, they're, they're taught rather, how to deal with disappointment. They're taught how to deal with disappointment. There's this passage in Deuteronomy 3 where Moses is expressing his frustration that he doesn't get to enter into the promised land. And he even starts this negotiation with the Lord, like, can I just dip my toes in there? Can I just, if the line's right here, can I just step over that line and just feel what it's like? And God goes, no, but I'll let you look at it. I'll let you climb up on that mountain and survey the territory that the next generation is gonna take. And so Moses has a choice to make. I mean, think about this. Moses could just be a bitter, grumpy old man at this point. You know, your parents kept me from going to this promised land. Now you young whippersnappers get to go in there and I'm stuck over here in the wilderness. I don't even get to put my feet there. Man, y'all just figure it out. And he could just sit on his front porch and, you know, get off my lawn kind of mentality. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Even in the midst of his disappointment, he, he turns and he encourages Joshua. Deuteronomy 3.28, God says, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Moses, I'm gonna give you a glimpse of it. And you know what? The territory they're gonna take, you've had a huge part in that. You have poured into and prepared this generation to do what they're being called to do. You've faithfully poured into Joshua and now he's ready to lead and he's gonna bear that burden you've been bearing for all these years. And so you, you can face your disappointment, but now you turn and encourage and inspire the next generation. And Moses chose to do that. Moses finished well because he learned how to deal with disappointment and he shared that story with them. 
He could have just kept that to himself, but he shared that with this whole generation. Learning to deal with disappointment is massive. So there's some things they grabbed, some things they looked back on. Now, what about looking within? In chapter four, it opens up with Moses basically saying, all right, now you go do it. Let's go. It's your turn. It's your time. Let's go. Deuteronomy chapter four now, verse one. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. So pay attention to that. He starts out by saying, there's, there's some foundational stuff I've given you. Do that stuff. If you will live by these principles, you can go into this land that you've been promised and you can take possession. And he reminds them, the God of your fathers is with you. Now notice, I want you to pay attention to how he refers to God in the next verse. You shall not add to the word that I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your parents' God, the Lord, your God, that I command you. Moses is talking to them about one of the most important transitions we can make in life. Where, where we learn to take the faith that we've seen in our parents or, or maybe just a spiritual leader in our life, but, but we decide to make that faith our own. I'm not just gonna agree with that preacher over there or agree with the faith my parents have. I'm gonna choose to follow Jesus myself. My parents' God is gonna be my God. I'm making a personal decision to trust him, to know him, to follow him. And so he, he makes that point. The God of your fathers, he's your God. It's essential for stepping into what's next. Don't just go with basic concepts of faith. Go in relationship. Know him, trust him, follow him. He's your God, he's with you. Take possession of the gift he's giving you. God has things he wants to give you. Grab hold of them. They're right there in front of you. He's laying them in your lap, but you, you gotta reach out and receive them from him. Take hold of them. And then he says this, this so important issue. And guys, this, this is a core issue that we see throughout the scripture. And it is important in this day, in our day. He says, do not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. Faithfully hold and maintain the truth of what God has said to you. This, this gets repeated throughout the scripture. Moses says it here, faithfully hold on to this word. Don't leave stuff out. Don't cherry pick the parts you like. Don't add things to it. Don't try to put your opinion on top of what this has to say. Don't try to put your cultural moment on top of what this has to say. Trust me and faithfully hold on to this. Take the whole counsel of my word to heart and treasure it. We'll see that warning get picked up as we get into the New Testament in months to come. All right, finally, kind of wrapping up this idea of looking within. Take God in as your own God. Take his word, his full counsel. Don't add to it. Don't remove anything from it. And then there's these two key points he makes here now in verse nine and then 31. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine. 
Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. The first first point here is to take care of your soul. There's consequences if you don't. There's consequences if you don't tend to who you are at your core. If it's not anchored in who God is and the truth of his word, and then am I holding on to that? Am I maintaining it? Am I living by that? This isn't about perfection. This isn't about legalism. It's about a life that's rooted in your relationship with God and who he is based on who he says he is, not who we like to imagine him to be. Let me take him at his word and build my life on that. That's principle number one in this passage. But principle number two, it gets picked up on in verse 31, but the verses between nine and 31, there's some honesty where God goes, hey, I know you won't do that. I know you won't always diligently maintain your soul. I know you won't guard and protect your heart. And so you're gonna struggle. You're gonna compromise. You're gonna serve other gods. You're gonna make mistakes along the way. And there's gonna be real consequences when you do that your life will be impacted. But principle number two, verse 31, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Take care of your soul. And when you fail, when you struggle, when you blow it, he's faithful and his mercy is there, and he won't give up on you. So hang in there with him, because he's hanging in there with you. This is, this is how Moses sets the tone for the people to move into new territory, to run their way, race well. Look back and learn from the past. Look within, guard, maintain, protect your relationship with God, the truth of his word in your life. Don't compromise. And ultimately, in the midst of it all, God is faithful. Now, starting in chapter five, kind of through the next several chapters, Moses restates the 10 commandments, and then he begins to emphasize to them, here's how you can run your race well. I would encourage you, man, soak that up. If, if, if nothing else, really take in Deuteronomy chapter six. But, but even like five through you know, nine, 10, 11, take that in. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at it through the lens of Jesus' eyes. So we're going to take the next 15 minutes or so. And I'm, I'm calling this three warnings. Um, it could be three encouragements. Um, you could call it three temptations. But Jesus, at the start of his ministry, does something really strange. He goes into the wilderness. How long were the children of Israel in the wilderness? 40 years-ish, a couple more. 40 years, how many days did Jesus go into the wilderness? 40 days. Jesus at the start of his ministry, when he's about to move into his destiny and the calling on his life, he goes out into the wilderness and some some inner work, some stuff is being done in his life and the enemy is trying to rip him off. And each time the enemy comes and whispers a temptation or a lie to him, Jesus responds not just with the truth of God's word, he responds with a passage from Deuteronomy. 
from this same set of chapters, chapters kind of five through eight, he quotes from there. And so we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at these three things, these three warnings. This is how we can tend our soul, all right? So here we go. Um, our main text is, is Matthew's gospel, beginning uh, chapter four, beginning in verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No duh. <laughs> I don't feel like that had to be stated. I would be very hungry at that point. All right, so here he is. He's in the wilderness. He's preparing. He's hungry. The enemy would never pick on you when you're tired or hungry or worn down. That's when he leaves you alone. He just finds you when you're at your best, and that's when he comes to mess with you. No, He's struggling in the wilderness. He's hungry and the enemy shows up. And in verse three, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the enemy tempts him with this, this concept, this idea. You can, you can change this stone into bread. Eat this. You're hungry. No big deal. And Jesus says, no, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter eight. So I want to go back and look at that passage and let's read a few verses around it to get the context. Because this is, this is what Jesus was thinking about. Like he's dwelling on this passage. Deuteronomy eight, verse two. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Like that's, that's right where Jesus is at, being tried, tested in the wilderness. And so this whole time, there was this humility going on as you were learning something about who you are, about who God is to you, and whether you would keep his commandments or not. Who are you going to be? Verse three, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why did he feed them manna? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Notice your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. God will actually allow us to be in seasons where we're struggling, where we're hungry, where, where something other than him looks satisfying, looks like it would fulfill me. But God's saying, listen, what matters is you, the core of your character. Are you gonna trust me? Are you gonna hold on to me? Because guess what? I am taking care of you. It may not be obvious to you, but I am. I am faithfully providing for you and taking care of you. So he's saying, pay attention to what you consume. What, what gives you life? What gives you sustenance? What do you need to be satisfied and filled? Listen, this, this idea of knowledge being like food is a theme that runs through the scripture. I mean, think about what caused man to fall. It wasn't like it was a poisoned apple. There was a concept at root there. And what had happened is, is Eve and Adam, they were being fed this lie. And they fed on that lie long enough 
that it looked appealing that they decided, yeah, that looks good. I want that. And instead of holding on to the truth of what God had told them, they fed on a lie. And it destroyed, it brought sin into the world. And we've been doing it ever since. What is it that we consume? What do we feed on? Pay attention to what you feed on. Jesus said, I'm gonna hold on and feast upon what my God has to say, what my father has to say. I'm gonna feed on the word and that's gonna, that's gonna be what sustains me and gives me life. In the same way that I need bread every day, I need his word in my life. I need to feed on it regularly. I wanna encourage you when it comes to maintaining your soul, look, looking within, taking care of the gift God's given you, consider what you eat. What consumes your thoughts? What do you take in on a regular basis? What do you look to for satisfaction? What consumes your thoughts? Because what, what you take in, what you consume, it will consume you. Jesus said, zeal for my father's house consumes me. He was in love with his father. He was in love with God. That's what he took in. That's what he consumed and it consumed him. Let's be like that. Be careful what you eat. That's warning number one. Warning number two, the second temptation. Matthew chapter four now, verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city, so he's in Jerusalem now, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone, and Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Now I have to admit for a long time, I never understood the appeal of this temptation. Why, why would I wanna jump off of this really high building? What's the appeal of that? There's, what's the upside here? <laughs> the downside seems pretty clear. Uh, why would I wanna jump off of this? But, but we need to understand where he is. He is about to start his ministry He's about to start reaching people for the kingdom of God. And so the enemy is saying, hey, come out of the shadows in the wilderness, come to the pinnacle of the city, stand in Jerusalem. Buddy, you leap off of Jerusalem and angels catch you. You've just announced your ministry. People are gonna pay attention to that guy. He's trying to get him to think strategically about how other people view him. Will they follow me? Will they listen to me? Talk about the way to launch a successful ministry. I jump off the temple and angels catch me. I'm not gonna have to convince them of anything. They're gonna believe I'm the son of God. Jesus rejects it. Deuteronomy chapter six, the context of what he quotes about not testing the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. Now pay attention to verse 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord has promised. The real issue here is, 
Are you worried about your reputation or are you worried about your character? Am I more wrapped up in worrying about how people view me, how I'm perceived, what people think of me? Or am I really just worried about the only one that matters? What does God see when he looks at me? Because he sees the real me. He sees me fully. And he loves and accepts me there. Now he loves me enough to grow me and to change me. But he, he's talking about a way of viewing life. Am, am I gonna spend my life driven to, to get acceptance from other people? Am, am I gonna spin my wheels just trying to figure out how to navigate life well, to have people love me, appreciate me, respect me, to have good standing in the world around me? Is that what consumes my thought and my focus? Or am I just gonna let that take care of itself and be more concerned about who I actually am? Who am I when no one's looking? What, what's my actual character? In the sight of God, am I all right? And see, the beauty of our God is when the answer is I'm not all right, he's there saying, that's why I'm here. I'm here to save you, to rescue you, to redeem you. That's where my forgiveness and mercy come in. But God's grace doesn't just stop uh, right there with forgiveness and mercy. His grace empowers us to change, to grow, to be who he's calling us to be. And so if the focus of my life is, God, where am I with you? How am I with you? Would you continue to shape and mold my character? If I'm concerned about that and not worried about what other people think, he says that's the way to a successful life. If you do that, if you are right in the sight of God, it will go well with you and you will take possession of the good land. He'll add all these other things. There, there's so much peace that we could have if, if we could learn to, to lay down the fears and opinions of man and instead think about this holy God who loves me and, and who am I in relation to him? He's faithful, he's patient, he's good. He's working on me, he's refining me. I'm in process, but he'll take me as I am. Am I, am I more concerned about that? God, who am I before you? or am I wrapped up in fears and worries about how, how people view me? So warning number two, be careful whose opinion you worry about. Be careful whose opinion you worry about. Number three, last one. Verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is taken from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. The idea here is, am I worshiping the creator of the world or am I worshiping things in the world that I give 
I give them the place that belonged to him. He shows them the kingdoms of the world. Hey, you can have all of that with just one compromise. You can have all of that. The issue here is about what am I looking at? What holds my gaze? Not just what I glance at. What holds my gaze? What consumes my thoughts? What am I focused on? What is it that that I've got to have? If I don't have that, I'm not all right. That thing that I've got to have, that thing that, that my focus is on, that's what I'm worshiping right now. That thing that holds my gaze. Listen, the world is good and it has a, has a lot to offer. God intended for us to enjoy his world and his creation. The problem is there's all these philosophies of man that come in and begin to worship certain elements of what he's created and lift those up above him. In ancient times, the gods were just named after things in this world. I didn't worship the river, I worshiped the God of the river. I didn't worship the sun, I worshiped the God of the sun. We would grab these things and then these elements, you know, they would have like a philosophy behind them. And, and there was a reason I would try to appease that God to get at something I wanted to have. We still do that. We might not be building golden sculpted idols and bowing down to them, but we make idols in our own culture that, that, that we view them as the highest. This is the thing that's worth striving for. That's the most important. You can fill in the blank. Is it success and career? I, I, we even take elements of who God is and, and we make them stand by themselves and they can't hold up. There, there is a war going on in our culture over the word love. Love does win. Love defined by God. Not my cheapened version of it. We've, we've simplified the word love down to something that won't hold it. God's love is huge and massive and sacrificial and his love speaks the truth. That's real love. What do I worship? What do I idealize? What do I, what do I focus on? What do I have to have to achieve success or peace? That's what I'm worshiping. Watch what you're gazing at. Jesus said, listen, there's only one person who deserves that place in my life. And that is the Lord most high. Him alone am I called to worship. Jesus is God. And yet he even took on this humble relationship with his heavenly father. If Jesus could do that, surely I could let go of some of my pride and humble myself before the creator of the universe and give him his proper place and worship him. Now see, all these warnings, the idea behind these isn't, this is something good to strive for. This is good for your soul. You were actually made to live with proper perspective. We were made to feed on the truth that God has to speak to us because it does satisfy and it does strengthen and it's something to build our life upon. And we were meant to be free of the worries and fears associated with trying to, to please other people. It doesn't mean I don't care about other people, but I'm not trying to please other people. I'm letting God teach me how to love them well. 
not I need this from them. And he's, he wants to free us from that. He's enough. And so I can be satisfied by him and by his love. And so I, I do that. And so how do I do all that? I worship him. I behold him. I, I look on him. I gaze upon him. And my life becomes rooted in the reality of who he is. And it's good for my soul. And so I become more and more the person he's shaping me to be so that I can run my race well. So I can learn from the previous generation. I can be anchored by my God and I can run with him. I'm gonna stumble along the way. I'm gonna fail at times. I'm gonna be in the wilderness at times. But is he the anchor of my life? Because if, if he is, he's faithful and merciful and just and good. So be careful what you eat. Be careful whose opinion you worry about and be careful what you worship. Instead, let's grab a hold of what's been given to us and learn to run our race with endurance. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love for us. God, your steady, constant presence in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you are present and available. God, that you've given us a purpose. Lord, you, you've got this grand story that you're telling where you're redeeming this whole world. God, would you help us find our place in that? God, things that, that we're meant to grab, grab hold of, to learn from um, our parents specifically, God, the, the previous generation before us, Lord, may we learn from successes and failures. God, I pray all along the way we would see your faithfulness in the past and that it would encourage us that you're faithful today with us, that you're our God. Lord, would you help us live lives that are anchored in you? God, that the firm foundation of our lives would be rooted in who you are and what you're doing in us. God, help us to feed upon you and your word. Help us to be free from worrying about how other people perceive us. Instead, God, may we be focused on being right with you. Jesus, thank you that the power of your sacrifice is that you enable us to be right with God. You do what we can't do on our own. And so you forgive and you heal and then you strengthen us to become who you're calling us to be. God, I pray our eyes would be fixed upon you that you would hold the place of worship in our lives and no other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.